Hey, folks, back here in Anchorage uh, with Senator Scott Kawasaki. How you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing, Jeff? Pretty good. Second podcast. First one was in Juneau in your office. First one was in Juneau. Yep. Yeah. In the new office in downtown Juneau. You good had, time. Good times. You had that fucking samurai sword. I did. I've, I have had the samurai sword. I, I think I told you the, the, the thing about the samurai sword is that uh, security originally had had or had me remove it said it was a weapon they didn't want a weapon i know for a fact some some legislators (laughs) carry guns oh i they do they conceal but uh this one was public it was out there and i said and i said well no it's a it's a religious item you can't take it so nice yeah so i have a sword um so (laughs) you're you're in anchorage for i guess a democrat you guys had a meeting or caucus meeting uh, two things uh bp hillcorp was the big talk yesterday we had a committee hearing with the senate Resources Committee Mm -hmm. and the House Resources Committee, Um, you know, important changes that that we should all be aware of. Uh, And then today we had a caucus with the rest of the Democrats. In a joint uh, committee, do each chair, does each chair kind of, do they pick who runs it or how does that work? Uh, Yeah, typically the Senate, the senator gets to preside over a meeting like that. Right now there's no Senate Resources Chair. But the the vice chair is Senator Coghill, so so Senator Coghill um, was was the uh, chair, uh, and Representative Garantar was the other chair on the other side. Are you, so are it you, worked out. Are you, you're on resources or no? Yeah, I serve on the resources committee. Yep. So the BP, I mean, that's the big talk right now. I mean, that's huge for right. not over the summer, but that's right. Still well, I mean, B, BP's an institution. It's been around for a long time in Alaska, and uh, you know, there's there's things that they're big philanthropy. Uh, BP Teacher of the Year. The, mm-hmm. Uh, BP underwrites a lot of things that uh, we oh, do. The, uh, the Ferrandi, Iditarod, the they fir- did stuff yeah, absolutely. for them. Uh, so corporate giving is a big, a big deal for a lot of uh, folks. Um, and it, and I know that Hillcorp is going to try to do the same thing that BP has done. So that's that's real positive. Um, do you know about Hillcorp's bonus program? No. So last they do a five-year bonus, right? So uh-huh. they have a target, and if they hit the target, everybody gets a bonus. So for the last time, guess how much each employee got? Just any random guess? $5,000. $100,000. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Like, you don't believe it. Yeah. And it's if you were there for, you know, three years, you get it prorated. But everybody from the lowest paid to the highest paid gets in the year, five years prior, it was, it's based on a five-year deal, uh-huh. and it was a car or 50000 I thought your bonuses were pretty good, too, though, right? Like, I, uh, I've not, I've no bonuses yet, but uh, I'd, I'd love one. Box of milk duds. Yeah, no, we, Diet you know, beer. We, 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 we do bottles of light. <laughs> we, 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 we do McAllen scotch if you're real lucky. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll, we'll, take, right. we'll take care that's, of you. That's pretty fair. That's pretty fair. So, yeah, no. So, it's, I mean, the company, it's, it's very different, differently structured than a BP where they're, they're a little leaner. They're small, you know, comparatively smaller. Mm-hmm. And they can do, you know, things, maybe, maybe these huge sure. BP Conoco Exxon where it's like huge machines with like, you know, higher costs. Yeah. I, I mean, the other thing that, that's, uh, troubling and we're kind of concerned about of course is that uh, uh unlike uh, um, a company that has to register with sec filings um has to tell them what has to tell us what what they're spending money on mm-hmm. essentially we would know what they're spending money on because it's very public and transparent um this privately held company will not have to well, do the I same did, things i did an article i kind of was the first one to report that uh through a source, I kind of found out that the um, decommissioning liability mm-hmm. for taps and everything and for the assets on the slope, that's being um, – maintained. BP is going to uh, maintain that. 
you know, a lot of folks were concerned if that because mm-hmm. there's a huge liability whenever if it's in you know 10 years or 50 or whatever it is they have to take the you know when the pipeline shuts down they have to decommission the whole thing and return right. it to normal right and there was a big concern if Hillcorp was gonna you know somebody made a joke like if, if the guy goes to like Dubai and he's like bye you know the company's defunct because right. I think it's an LLC or a corporation right it's a, it's an S corp so S corp sorry yeah, S corp yeah. yeah so it is. Uh, yeah, it would be potentially could be off the hook. Uh, we need to have those agreements in place and understand that they've got the financial wherewithal to be able to pay for the DRNR. Um, BP will will be second in line, so that's something that's very important. That uh, with the demolition, removal, and remediation, that uh, there's people on the hook that aren't going to be you and me as a taxpayer. And hopefully it's not, you know, for 50 or more years, but it is it is something that when it comes up... And, you know, when I started doing that article, I, I, I know there's a whole series of decades of litigation, and they've been litigating this stuff for a mm-hmm. long time, tariffs and all these different... Right. Fa- and it's, it's really like you have to have some kind of legal mind to really understand it. I mean, yeah. since the pipeline started, oil started flowing, there's been litigation. Right. And, you know, with DNR&R, it's, it's sort of similar to what we have up in Fairbanks where we had... Uh, Flint Hills. Uh, before that, it was Williams Company. Before right. that, it was privately owned. It's a contaminated, and it's a contaminated site that is in fact. I mean, it's basically people can't use water. So, the, are people getting? Are those houses worthless, or are people getting shipped in water, or what are they doing? I, I, if I were a realtor, I wouldn't want people to think it's worthless. But uh, yeah, I mean, as a consumer, I don't want to live in that salt lane zone. Uh, you know, potentially cancer-causing carcinogen. Uh, I wouldn't want my kids to be bathing in that kind of water. Um, there are, I know the city of North Pole and the, and the borough are working together to make sure that, that uh, the public in the area gets water, clean water, piped in water, things like that. But the big question is who's, who's at fault and who's going to help clean it up? And we don't have anybody yet, and it's, that's why it's in the spring. Is is so what I've, what I've heard um, from different folks is this PFAS issue, which is being raised lately all over the country the world. Um, it seems like they they say there's a really big, for some reason, a much bigger concern in Fairbanks with right. soil and uh, land and mm-hmm. all these different you know areas around Fairbanks. Is it, is it why is that a bigger concern in Fairbanks? So it's a, the reason why it's a bigger concern um, not only is be, not only that uh, there are people that have wells that don't that aren't on the water system, but secondly, our water is uh, basically we're at sea level in Fairbanks, so all of our water is groundwater. You don't have to pump it out very far from underneath the ground, and it's fresh water, and it gets processed at a processing plant. Uh, but with this, uh, again, a carcinogen in the water stream, we're worried it gets in the stream of water, and people um, will be impacted by that. I heard from somebody that they used to, there was a company or somebody that was, or maybe the city was selling soil, or they were selling land for different construction, and then they stopped doing that. You heard that? No. Because there was some concern <laughs> about, it was gravel maybe, I don't it was... Uh, well, the, so there, so the contaminated soils um, that are up in Fairbanks from this PFAS um, carcinogen, uh, we're trying to find ways to to, to remediate that area. Uh, what we're trying to do is, you can burn it. Uh, it's a lot of uh, it's a, it, it's hugely expensive. If you can imagine bringing uh, just large trucks load of soil that are contaminated, uh, and then bringing them to a place where you could just incinerate. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So as far as I understand, it's really not it's, – it's, it's in everything. It's in couches and Gore-Tex and clothing and all different yeah. carpet. Um, it's a fire retardant. Right. Um, and from what I understand, it's not really known what the effects are. Most people have a feeling it's not probably not good, oh, it's, but, we, yeah. but we don't know yet. And, and it's pretty much – it's in everything. It's really hard to, 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 to um, break down. 
Yes, it doesn't break down. The science of it is actually, uh, although they don't have a, li- a legal limit and, or a limit, they say try not to have more than 300 parts per million. Um, right now, we're above that level. And uh, it's a big, big at airports too, right? For a flame retardant. Yeah, it's a it's a flame retardant. And what happened is uh, the two major sites. One is the fire training center. The other one's the uh, uh, the airport property. They were practicing with this fire retardant, and it runs off. It gets into the soil, and it immediately uh, gets moved from one place to another. So it's gotten again into the water table. Um, we're worried it gets into the Chena River in some sites, and it, it is a problem. And I'll tell you, you know, there's, this is anecdotal evidence, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a woman who is a constituent of mine who has had three miscarriages in her, in her time, and she does everything right. She eats healthy. She works out. Um, and we don't know if the water is causing that or not, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a scary thing. When was the first time you because the first time I heard about this was last, during the session. Last, oh, last session. It's been around. The Fairbanks area has known about it for um, five, ten years. Uh, we have a similar spill that's closer to uh, Moose Creek, which is um, in North Pole area. That also similar flame retardant uh, has escaped from the Eielson Air Force area into the water table there. And so they're, they're, they're doing bioremediation, and they could afford to do it because it's a military base. Mm-hmm. So they've done that uh, in that area. Well, let's, let's, um, I want to talk to you about the budget that came out right, last sure. week. and. Kind of, kind of, we- kind of weird. A little bit it's weird of a press weird. conference, but the <laughs> budget itself being kind of flat. A lot of folks were expecting maybe yeah. round two of cuts, uh-huh. and yeah. and you're still, I assume, you're kind of full PFD guy. Sure, but but the governor has yeah. suggested draining the CBR essentially to pay pay this full PFD. I think yeah. that to me very irresponsible. It, it's totally irresponsible, and I'll just say this that the the, the, the governor's been here for just a little bit over a year now. He's got people who work for him to deal with those types of issues and the finances and to make sure that the budget balances. Uh, I feel that the budget was sort of tall on expectations, knowing that this was the second year around, but really short on detail. He said, I've got a budget. I, I'm going to present it. You guys are going to have to try and find out how to fund it. But in order for it to balance on a balance sheet, I'm just going to take it all from savings. And I know that he spoke which, at which the, is, he which, spoke at this Heritage Foundation and they're applauding him for balancing a budget and you know making sure it's a slim budget but they don't I don't know if they just didn't realize but he's using almost all of our savings to get to the point where we well, got a balanced budget. And it's clearly anybody who you know has any kind of level of knowledge of this system and process it's clearly just uh an attempt it, it's a device to say you know but budget's balanced. Now it's on the legislature. You guys figure right. it out. And it's it, the final budget was not is not surely going to look like this budget. Right. But it's it's a way to shift. And somebody I wrote about this in my Sunday column, and I said this is irresponsible, and it's not going to be the final outcome for sure. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, well, don't blame the governor, the legislature. It's their problem for going fighting back and not you know not cutting the budget and this and that. Uh, he you know he inherited this. And I said, well, when he was in the Senate. Um, to be to be fair to him, I mean to be fair to everybody, he voted for these big budgets, which drained ten or eleven billion dollars out of the CBR that, that yeah. he was voting on. So it's not something he just inherited. He wasn't, you know, not elected before. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, he he was on the finance committee during his tenure uh, in the legislature and in the Senate, and you know, and they continued to drain savings uh, each and every year. I mean, he, uh, he kind of finally got, I call it, got religion at the end. He voted against the the last budget. 
um, when he was senator. But before that, you know, the budgets he because he ran in 2012, I ran in 2012. He won, I lost. We were both kind of at the time running on a similar. I was very concerned about spending. Mm-hmm. He was as well, but then you get in and he's you know, part of the caucus and mm-hmm. he's voting for the the budget. So, I mean, it's like you could do this. Let's say this happens, right? Okay, let's say they drain the $1.5 out of the CBR. Okay, everybody gets 3000 bucks. What happens next year? Yeah. Because there's no, there's no more money left. Yeah, and if you're thinking about the long term, you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about the next generation, you really do have to decide... What are we going to do? Uh, what's our vision for the state? What's our vision for the future of Alaska? Right now, we aren't doing so well on a lot of those metrics. Uh, you know, we're number 50 when it comes to violent crimes against women. Uh, our schools are not doing as well as they should. Uh, the, you know, we can't afford to renovate new roads that we've already built. Uh, we've got one of the smallest capital budgets in 25 years. Uh, it was only smaller the year before and the year before that. Very, very small. Hundred and, capital, hundred and some million when it used yeah, to be, it, you know, two, two, two is, I think, arguably too much. But sure. let's say a hundred is, you know, too little. Right. And, and, and you know, and, and not to justify a two billion dollar capital budget or a billion dollars in capital spending. But that was after years and years and years of allowing our roads to be in disrepair. Um, and well, the money, it, you know, the money was there. Money came in and. Right, that, could, that, that was more. And affordable. it was, in, and again, these we, these are projects that were in disrepair. You've got to replace your roof. You can't just let it sit for ten years or twenty years. Well, until, you know, you can, but then it's more expensive. Exactly, and that's that's what we had to do. We replaced schools. We replaced complete buildings at that time because we had the cash and because what was it, it like was something I mean, that was necessary. You were you were elected what in eight? I was elected in two thousand six. Okay, so you were you were there. During uh, the big, big Palin. budgets, Palin, yeah. $100, $150 oil, right. <laughs> budgets were $8 billion, you know, and I mean, it, it was my first session, last session being down there. I've kind of followed it, but really first time being down there, which is much different. I mean, it sounds, it seems to me it must have been so much more fun and enjoyable when there was not these big fights <laughs> over dividend and budget and all right. the fighting over tiny it, little projects, who's going to get what. It, it was a different time. Uh, I will say that, you know, being one of the younger members I can guarantee you I'm one of the poorest members and one of the most frugal. And I remember coming into the legislative session in 2007. Uh, in 2008, we had passed oil tax reforms, and we started to get more money into the state coffers. Where That's ACES? Long, under ACES, under Governor Palin. And, you know, I remember the following year in 2009, they were asking members, hey, do you have uh, projects in your district that could account for two or $300,000 worth of individual uh, spending. And I said, I, I'm a kid that barely, or I can still remember when I had to fish through my couch cushions for beer money <laughs> during college. I don't know what to do if I've got $3,000 for the district. The districts needed them. There's no doubt about it that, that we were able to bring money back to the district okay. that's and like, back that's to like, folks that really needed it. That's like a, whoa, I got, <laughs> I got some ideas. Yeah, we, we had great ideas, and we had other folks that I, made pitches that were not great, and we didn't fund those. I heard that's, that's stories of, of back in like 2012, 13, you know, in these really high years and of, uh, of revenues and budgets that people would reconcile the budget and you know towards the end of session and they realize the revenue forecast was off by this time we, we saw it was it was off by 50 or 100 million dollars less but back then they'd say oh we have another 100 million dollars and they'd kind of run around looking for the staff come back we have you know we got to spend it we got to spend it it's yeah. like so crazy yeah. the times of so different now yeah and you know i could just say that to the defense of most legislators there we were frugal. We didn't pick projects out there that were 
sort of pie in the sky that we're not going to move forward, not going to advance the public's interest, not going to um, uh, help with public safety, with education, with the things that really matter for folks in the district. There might have been some. I guarantee you there probably were. I mean, there's exa- I mean you could point to that, you know, the anchorage here we have, the mm-hmm. change point used to be the fish plant thing that the guy convinced him to give $50 million and make it a export and right. ended up losing a lot of money. I mean, there's been, yeah. over the years in yeah. Alaska, it's a you know, resource curse where you have all this money and inevitably you're going to squander some of it because there's so much to, to spend. And, that, and that's exactly right. Those are those are the examples that the public likes to remember. Uh, what the public doesn't remember is that uh, we were able to put schools in districts that didn't have adequate education. Mm-hmm. We were able to support our village public safety officers in rural Alaska, because we really can't afford a trooper in every village, but you can't afford a VPSO who's competent and I knows mean, how to preserve the public peace in a lot of places. We that fund has been cut down to half, and I think that's a that's that's a significant problem when we talk about public safety and crime, especially in rural Alaska. Have you been following that Lawless uh, series on ADN? Yeah, it's like absolutely. fucking crazy how many. Places don't even have nine one one or uh, yeah. a VPSO no, or nine one one is an eight hundred number. Yeah. in some places and troopers and VPSOs are days away in a lot right. of the and it's not like a few. And then the mm-hmm. other the article they did where in some, certain, so many or certain villages the police are are convicted criminals because they don't have anybody. I mean they, they did something whatever, but they, like one of the guys he was a convicted. I think he was a he had like se- se- sexual assaults. And he yeah. was the chief because they didn't have anybody else that could that could you know they could they could get. It's like it's really crazy when you think about it. Oh yeah, when I try to tell folks down in Lower Forty Eight, if I go uh, on a conference or meeting with folks uh, in other states, and they try and say we live in a rural part of Ohio, I say, well, how's rural there? Oh, they have cell phone. They have a K- they only have they only have a KFC and a Taco Bell. I think rural means like <laughs> like the city is like an hour drive or something. Yeah, that's right. It, and it's just, and it's just, they can't fathom what happens in Alaska, and especially in rural Alaska. Who are the um, only? I mean, there's other countries. You know, Russia has similar issues in their mm-hmm. rural. I mean, but as far as states go, I think we're the only. Really, I mean, I'm from New Mexico originally, which is a mm-hmm. big state, and there's you know Indian reservations, and there's mm-hmm. and there's tribal there's issues. But I mean, you can like everything's you can get there if you have to very pretty quick, even right. even even though it's a huge state. Right, and and it's just a phone call away. And there's roads, <laughs> yeah. most places, almost yeah. everywhere. Yeah, and and you know, I I don't think I don't think the people in a uh, in the village or in rural Alaska want a road next to them and don't expect to have a full police force of a dozen dozen deputized police officers. But I do think we are failing when it comes to how we. Uh, make sure that uh, the public is safe and so that they mm-hmm. can feel safe in their home, safe in their schools, safe in their neighborhoods. Uh, well, I, I think, think we're, we're failing. Some, some would argue, I, I'd be one of them, I think the main the, the main job of, of government is is a uh, rule, rule of law and safety. Yeah. I mean, there's it, a lot well, of things government the does, Constitution. that's the one thing. I mean, yeah. think about it. Like, you know, you got to make sure we're safe. It's in the Constitution. Public safety, public health, uh, public education, um, and infrastructure. And those are, and the university actually is also mm-hmm. in the constitution as a responsibility to be funded by the legislature. And you, I don't know if, if this were a test, 
I don't think Civic. we're doing a great job right Civics, now. Yeah, yeah test. if this were, you know, give me a grade between an A to F, how are we doing under those five Whoa. conditions of the state constitution? I don't think the state of Alaska is doing great. I think we ought to be honest with our constituents and and let them know that there are costs attached to services. Uh, these are the costs. Is it something that you want to pay for and how are we going to pay for it how are we going to raise the revenue so that we don't have to be deficit spending every year i think folks have really in a, in a kind of profound sense started to realize that question whereas sure. before they never really had to even answer it right right uh, and for the last how many years 30 years we haven't had any sort of income tax my city doesn't have a sales tax anchorage doesn't have a sales tax either uh, as far as as far as finding uh, money for basic level services from education to um, to road maintenance things like that or police officers and public safety the public really hasn't had a chance to be part of that equation uh, and I know that there are people that have homes and pay through taxes, property taxes especially, are actually very, very high in the state of Alaska compared to other states. Yeah, no, I mean, Anchorage has some of the high, I mean, if you look at the national average where I think we're double, Yeah. but, you know, if you, if you do look at, but if you look at overall tax burden, exactly, you, that's some things folks, sure. they look at one issue, uh, but not the whole, because no income tax, no Anchorage, no sales tax. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is you're, you're kind of a, one of, the, you're a full dividend guy. And I think you and I have, you know, probably feel differently about that. But you, you d definitely don't agree with the way the governor's kind of approached it. So, what, in your mind, if it was, if it was governor, if it was, if it was Magic Wand Scott Kawasaki, what, you, <laughs> what are you going to do to be able to pay a dividend and also have a, a budget that's, you know, not going to be draconian? Um, mm -hmm. How would you do it? Well, again, all, those five things—the university, public education, public safety, public health. Uh, and infrastructure are part of the Constitution. They are guaranteed in the Constitution. Again, we're not getting an A grade there uh, for not even sure we're well. passing on all the categories. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's a it's it's work in progress, right? I think it's work in progress. Um, a permanent fund dividend isn't a guarantee in the Constitution. However, I'd like to see a guarantee of a permanent fund dividend in the Constitution. I think it gives us credibility when it comes to voters. It gives us credibility when it comes to uh, the public. I don't know what that number should be. So my, and, my question is, yeah, well, how do you enshrine, essentially, I mean, I, I call it an entitlement. I mean, you can call it a, a you know, a, a payment from the resources or a, what's, what do they call it? The, um, oh my gosh, well, I'm, well, I'm, uh, what's it called? The mineral, the mineral rights. You know, you can right. argue all these different things, but isn't it kind of a bad... To me, it seems like a bad idea to enshrine a payout in the Constitution when we have all these, these other obligations and responsibilities that, you know, for sure are more important than giving somebody a check. Yeah, I, I think you have to weigh that out because if you were to ask a person who is destitute, trying to put their kids through college, doesn't qualify for, say, things like state services uh, or Federal services, public assistance, Medicaid, uh, uh, those types of things mm -hmm. doesn't have uh, doesn't have a kid at the university. I mean, doesn't drive their own car, but uses public transportation. They would have a much different picture of what that permanent fund dividend means to them. Uh, then, then there's going to be people that live in Hillside Anchorage that the PFD doesn't mean anything to them, uh, but. And they just don't want to have to pay an income tax or something like that. I think it really just depends on from where you're coming from. 
and it's going to be a big discussion point this year is how how we equitably pay for services that we all rely on and I, i don't even have any kids in the district in the school district and i pay property taxes and i get that but it's it's some benefit to have smart just, kids coming out of oh you know I, I agree with that 100 right it just seems to me that to put something in the constitution I mean obviously everything in the constitution is very 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 high level very simple and then the statutes are the more complicated mechanisms of, of government but I mean it seems like how, how would you word it you know? you know the government you know shall try to, you know because if you start saying must pay a dividend and then what's the formula now we have this formula problem that we're and that's not going to be in the constitution I don't think a formula wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know how it would, how the words would work uh, in the Constitution, but certainly, I do believe that we are well sharing uh, from our natural resources, and I think we should continue that. How we do it and what sort of uh, program it's done—if it's a permanent fund dividend, if it's direct deposited, if it's a paper check—I I don't really. I don't really care about the details, but I think it needs mm-hmm. to be somewhere in there. So what do you see next? I mean, obviously the formula is still going to be the issue next session. It's an election year as well. There's there's going to be a fight over the dividend for sure. I mean, remember the Senate, full dividend, the House, you know, half a di- – I mean, it went back and forth. It took months and yeah, uh, right. months. So what, what do you see happening next session with all of this? Well – I'll just say I'm still sort of optimistic about where we stand. You know, even though the budget is not where it needs to be to protect its citizens and to excel and to grow out of this mediocrity, we still um, have a Senate that we're working with, with very closely. Senator Giesel as president um, and uh, the newest member, Senator Revac. Um, I think that in the Senate we can work together uh, with cool heads and come up with solutions. And I know that it was uh, already discussed between our leadership and Senator Giesel that she really would like to see us get out of there within the 90 days. Yeah, if, I ever, if I ever run for office again, I've uh, figured out by being in Juneau, I am not a Senate guy. <laughs> Senate is a little bit boring. <laughs> so, House, man. You were in the I, House. House as is you know, fun. Right? I was in the House for a dozen years, and my Senate colleagues always say, hey, we got to housebreak that kid because He's got some really bad habits he learned over twelve years in the house, and I. Senate, I it's would just agree. so. It's just I, I hate to say that, I hate to say it, but it's just kind of it's just kind of it's so slow and boring <laughs> compared to the house, right? Where it's like What's, man, it's, you like, got to be pretty, you got to be scrappy. It's in pretty the wild house. and crazy in the house. You, you got to be scrappy in the house. You got to be able to to be in there. And I'll tell you the reason why is you've got you've got basically two years to make your mark because you might not come back. You you really only have one year. Because then, the you're, then you're talking cycle. about re-election yeah. years, and in the House, I learned that, that yeah, you you got to get up and you got to fight vigorously and pound your uh, hands on the table and make sure you've got your statements out there in public so everybody sees it. In the Senate, I, I I'm sort of at a loss. I'm learning. Uh, the debate is frowned upon. <laughs> Special well, I, I orders think, are frowned upon. I think uh, there's kind of like a <laughs> sense of, which is you know argue, arguably a good thing. There's a sense of kind of decorum that the Senate carries that, that is an Im- image and an institutional thing where the, the House has maybe a little more leeway and freedom to be, to be a little more scrappy. Yeah, I, I think the Senate, uh, your word's boring. Um, you know, you, you look Com- at... <laughs> compared to the House. Co- compared to the House, yeah. But we, we did have some good, some good uh, times last session when, when, you know, Senator Shower and Hughes decided to kind of leave for a little bit and miss right. a vote, and I was trying to find them. That was kind of a little fun. Yeah, a little, uh, bit there, of, a little bit so of activity. We'll have some fireworks once in a while like that, but it's uh, 
it's really strange how different it is in the Senate versus in the House. Much, I, much slower. Uh, much slower. Much slower pace, much more deliberate, uh, much more, I, I guess, collegial. And, you know, folks are there for four years, so they recognize that, hey, I've got to deal with that guy for four years. And so, so we've really worked closely together. And some of the people who I never felt like I could ever connect with on a personal basis, like, like quite frankly, Senator Giesel, I didn't know if I would be able to to work with her, but but she's been. I think she's, she's impressed a lot she's, of people. With she's her been great <clears throat> and the leadership uh, in the Senate. Yeah, she has. And Senator Cogula, I worked with in the House before he moved over to the Senate, and he's been great. And uh, all the chairs of the committees that I've been on, Senator Birch was Resources Chair, and uh, Senator Showers in the State Affairs uh, State Affairs Chair. Yeah, the, the um, it's, it seems you know the current Senate. You guys on a lot of these big issues have voted twenty zero nineteen zero nineteen one. Um, right. We passed the budget unanimously over back to the House before negotiations. And then, uh, you know, and then there was a little bit of dissent and things like that. If you go but, back, you know, I guess go back to the coalition before 2012 when there was the coalition and then there was kind of the my, I mean, this is some of the same people. He had that, you know, that minority of four. It was Senator Coghill, Giesel, Dyson. And there was one more. There was but they Charlie, only had, Huggins. Huggins. And they only had four people, which wasn't even an actual technically a minority. But right. they still gave him seat committee seats yeah, and right. such. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting how because I, like I said, I ran in twenty twelve and there was a very big fight in the Senate mm-hmm. over the co- coalition. Which ironically, I was kind of running against that. But looking back, that was probably the best one of the best things ever. Yeah, I, you know, we've been working with um, with our Republican counterparts on on and we've got a small minority, a small scrappy minority of six Democrats and. We've uh, worked really closely. We've we found ways to be able to agree with each other. When we disagree, we, we tell them, hey, we disagree with you, but we don't blast them on the floor. And I think in the in the House, that's a little bit different. There's a lot of blasting in the House. Oh, yes. Oh, lots, yes. lots of high tension, lots of at-eases. You, you know, and being outside of the chamber in the House now, you watch them on TV and you know they're yelling at each other, but they're at a... They're that are out of brief at ease. It's, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of interesting how you know you like when I started doing the, the landmine stuff um, and even running for office before in, in the past watching politics. You watch on on gavel and it's at ease and, and you have no idea. But when you're in Juno, you actually see it, what happens. And sometimes it is loose and sometimes it is wild, yeah. and and you have to only you have to be there. That's the only way you can see it is to be there. Yeah, I I wish they would not use the at eases like that, and uh, they would make it a little bit more. Public. I agree. I mean, if, yeah. if you could, if you can vi- publicly see it in the gallery or in the building, why should the vo- why should they turn off the volume? Right. Uh, on, on gavel, it, it has to do. Well, I, I, it used to have to do with recording and what got recorded and what didn't get recorded for official records. Yeah, you know, it, but it is it is such a scene, and you've been Juno many times, and and you can see that the folks they might be smiling through their teeth but they're just about to twist that knife mm-hmm. into the person next to them and it's uh it's really a fascinating thing I, I was just in washington dc during the impeachment uh trial or impeachment uh inquiry vote 
and started right on time. I was so fascinated. Started right on time. I was able to get in as a member of the public. I sat in line for only did you, did 25 you, minutes. Did you name drop state, state senator? I didn't have to do that. I sat. I, I would have been was, like state senator. Can there I, was a young can I get in? pastor behind, in front of me uh, from Baltimore, and then another person who was a disability retired disability lawyer, and they just came just to watch. And I said, "Oh yeah, I'm in Washington D.C. Why am I watching this on CNN? I'm just going to go down so, to the to the building." So, there so was, I went down to Longworth, and there, were, there was. It wasn't like a crazy amount of people, I and mean, there was enough yeah. room? There was enough room for anybody that wanted to come in until the very end, and they, they had to slow it down, and there were probably 20 people in line. Uh, lots of cameras, obviously, and it's sort of the same thing. When they're on public record, they're, they're gavel in. They didn't have to take an at-ease at all, but before the meeting started and then immediately following the meeting, there was definitely words <laughs> between uh-huh. uh, between them, but during the public part of it, there, there wasn't. Um, Having you down there, having other journalists down there is an important aspect of making sure that folks know what's going it's just, on. It's just totally, totally different yeah, being there and it, seeing it. Does, it. Yeah, it looks a little different on television than it actually is. And I hope that the legislature, which we've done in the past, continues to do these meetings. Like yesterday's meeting for the Senate and House Resources was public. It was there. People, were, people could come in. They could hear what we were talking about. If we took it at ease, they'd be able to hear what we were talking about. When we're talking to our neighbor, they can hear what we're talking about. I think it's that kind of transparency that the public deserves and the public should Yeah, you know, there's a talk expect. of, I have mixed feelings on it. I've kind of gone the other way of Juno's the capital. We shouldn't move the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of part of that kind of um, realization is even in Juno, where there's plenty of folks who live in Juno who could go watch, they, there's n- rarely there's like a packed place, right? I'm like, fascinated. Rarely, rarely the committee meetings are like, oh my god. You know, there's a couple times the ferry right. deal was big, oh, yeah, but was but but I mean, if you had the legislature here or Fairbanks, I don't think you'd have this kind of knocking down the doors like some people. Uh, I am uh, so fascinated how many people actually have not been to their state capital but are from Juneau. And I asked them, well, yeah. you haven't been to the capital before. You live like a couple blocks away, and maybe that's just because we're we're politics junkies and that's our thing. But it just sort of surprises me. And, um, you know, the same thing goes for when we had a legislative session here. It was a one-day special session for senior benefits, and we had to have it in Anchorage. And there was all sorts of this fanfare. We had it at the Egan Center downstairs. Yeah, I remember they that. set it up. And it was the first time we had a legislative session outside. So there's photographs of it because it was a big deal. We didn't have more than probably three or four regular people. There were definitely the the folks who follow us. Uh, there were definitely the press was there, uh, the people who go to every function that they can possibly find. But there were probably only a handful of people who I talked to when I was shaking hands that said, yeah, we're just interested in this. You know, we've never had the legislature here. We want to see what's going on. Same thing goes for 2015 when we had a full-on 30-day special session yeah. here. Well, I mean, there the weren't rea- that many people. The reality is, you know, most folks are having... They work. They have families. They have obligations. I mean, most most people aren't going to just spend the whole day. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they'll spend a day or two, right? But they aren't going to spend the whole the whole session watching uh, what's happening. So that's why I've kind of I used to think, oh, bring it here, bring it closer, let more people. I guess there, there is more access to it, but I just don't think there's this kind of rush to the doors like a lot of people talk predict. Yeah, there, yeah, definitely. I think the predictions are a little bit are a little bit high for having a lot of pe- people, people come. People are angry about a lot of stuff, and it's easy to say, "Oh, it's in Juno. That's why the, there's a problem." Right. 
Right. And I, th- I don't think that really yeah, I, makes we too much need, sense. And as a legislator and as a elected official, um, we need reasons to, to bring people in and re-engage them. I think we've lost that. I think uh, you look at the participation in local elections, participation levels in other areas that uh, well, people have... Um, <laughs> people have definitely... Um, maybe it's because people have lost faith in government and lost faith in where we stand. And they think that regardless of whether I show up or not, we're not going to be listened to. I think Uh that's a flaw. I think it's important that everybody gets involved and everybody gets involved in their own way. But when we have voter turnouts in the 20% or 25%, it's the same 25% that are making these decisions and the 75% are being ignored. Well, it's even sometimes in primaries less, less than that, 10, 15%. Sure. So, well, I got to um, get out of here. I got my uh, annual condo board meeting. I'm condo the, board meeting. You, you asked if I was going to get booted, but I said I'm the president of the board. So, yeah. you, ho- better, you they... better get there before you have a coup on your hands there, Mr. President. L- luckily, um, maybe not so luckily, but usually it's kind of when we have somebody up, you know, we have a rotating seat every, we have three people on the board. So typically it's like, can somebody please be on the board if, you know, the person's not running or something? It's not like crazy, but you're right. You have to watch that. <laughs> well, I hope they haven't booted your car yet and and removed everything from. That's why I'm on the board. Your, That's why I'm on the. One, your, one time we had a, a, a there was a when I first got on the board there was like seven years ago when I right after I bought the place there was a, a guy had moved so there was a vacant seat and I had met the head of the board at the time and said hey, if there's ever an opening before the, you know next meeting or whatever annual meeting let me know and he said hey there's an opening you should come check it out and he goes some other lady wants to be on too though and I said oh it's fine I'm kind of busy she's he's like you should come. I think, I think you should maybe come to the meet, you know, the board meeting. So she's there, and, and she's like, I don't use email, and I have plenty of time to go hand out violations. And Whoa. I said, yeah, I, I really, really want to be on the board. Please please appoint me. So now, ever since I've been on there, I feel very good kind of watching over things. So is this the newly re- restart of your political career? Or am I going to see you running for office? No, I don't know. Maybe the House, huh? That's, that's what I told you, though. Maybe? So we're going to be, maybe again, it's going to be the House. Okay. You got to talk okay. to your buddy Chris Tuck, man. You got to see what he's doing. Yeah, representative Tuck. That's my, that's, my, that's my representative. Well, you're being represented pretty well right now, let me just say. You know that. Yeah, I've been go, I've been go back with Chris. I, I, I did get a little um, mad about the uh, the Vegas, the the trash conventions. Trash conventions? He, t- two years in a row, went to the tra- trash conventions um, in Vegas at the end of the session. Well, that's, that's important. <laughs> Municipal solid waste is an important local issue. <laughs> All right, Senator Kawasaki. Well, welcome to Anchorage. Thanks for being right. here. And um, I guess we'll see you in June here in the next about a month. We'll see you soon, Jeff. Thanks a lot. What's your plan? Are you going back to Fairbanks? Uh, yeah, I'm going back up at Fairbanks for a couple of weeks. I'm going to relax and I'm going to get get focused and uh, focused on what we need to do down in Juneau so that we can accomplish our goals in the 90-day session. We'll see what the House does. I don't know. But in the Senate, we've got things that are in the works right now. Got to bring in that new year. That's right. All right. Well, Senator Kawasaki, appreciate you coming in. All right. Take care. All right, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, get a hold of me and we'll talk to you next time. Landline.